Hello and welcome to Pello Talk. Today we've got uh, George Christensen, Alexandra Marshall and Matthew Littlefield joining me again and we're going to be talking about a range of different topics. What we're going to cover in the next hour or so is culture. How do conservatives, right-thinking people, Christians take back the arts, Hollywood, making movies, telling stories, selling books, the news? How do we actually do that, support it, and make sure that it gets up? Because let's face it, culture is exactly what is used by leftists, that long march through the institutions to not only indoctrinate our children in university, but right from the get-go and then all through culture with movies and the storytellers actually telling us what's right, what's wrong, what's normal. And uh, we're also going to be talking about the FBI telling Mark Zuckerberg who should win the presidential election as well as uh, Joe Biden's fantastic idea of uh, making you, oh, American viewers, uh, taxpayers anyway, uh, but making the taxpayer pay for somebody else's degree in gender theories or feminist interpretive dance theory. That's exactly what you don't want to be paying for. Uh, that and more topics coming up in this hour of Pello Talk. I'm Dave Pello. <laughs> May all that you stand for and that we stand for be preserved under the providence of God for the happiness of mankind. The trouble is caused by unthinking people who carelessly throw away ageless ideals as if they were old and outworn machines. But it is the values of individual liberty, equality before the law and the supremacy of people over the state to which we can always with confidence return as a powerful and uniting force. Australia is not a secular country. It is a free country. Well, g'day, and uh, in this new episode of Pello Talk, uh, we're going to be getting into some controversial topics. Let me encourage you to be undecided uh, about some of these issues. Uh, and maybe you've got a firm conviction. Maybe undecided is the wrong thing. We should be undecided about candidates, and that's, I guess, what I'm used to saying. But on issues, there are some things we can be absolutely certain on. Uh, debt forgiveness may not be one of those topics. Uh, let's keep an open mind, and instead of just aligning to what all good conservatives should think. Maybe let's uh, try and examine the rights and wrongs of the issue. Uh, maybe as much as this pains me to say, Joe Biden isn't a complete idiot on this one. He probably didn't have anything to do with the policy, but uh, hey, don't shoot the messenger. Um, <laughs> welcome to Matt Littlefield in the studio with me, chuckling away there. <laughs> hey, Dave. How you doing, man? Fantastic. Thank you. And uh, also joining us via internet is the wonderful Alexandra Marshall. Hello, Ellie. Good afternoon. And uh, also joining us via the fastest NBN since Malcolm Turnbull was elected Prime Minister, George Christensen. How are you, George? We've lost you. You're muted. You've turned yourself off again. Oh, uh, well, they're always trying to shut me down somehow, rather, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm back. And thanks very much for having me on your show, Dave. It was the FBI. It was, it was Zuck. Um, it was never you fiddling with the wrong switch like I always do. That's correct. 
Uh, well, one of the things, um, as you can see on the table here in front of us, we've got a pile of books. Uh, this is Defending Conscience, uh, How Baptists Reminded the Church to Defy Tyranny um, by uh, this guy, Matthew Littlefield, and also by um, Tim Grant, a fantastic author from Mount Isa. Um, and uh, what we're doing is basically talking now about the need for, for publishers. So this is actually published by Lock Press, which is helping conservative authors uh, to self-publish. Um, the point being that they then theoretically would make more money than if uh, the rights belonged to a publisher. Um, a publisher is the guy who in, in takes all the risk. And so they, they do deserve uh, a whole bunch of, of the profits for paying the costs of printing, et cetera. But for those authors who can back themselves just a little uh, and cover some of that upfront capital, they stand to get a higher percentage of profits. And that that's what Lock Press is trying to do, help them uh, to negotiate and, and travel, navigate that, that difficult um, process. Um, so yeah, if you haven't, check out lockpress.com. There's a couple of books there so far and more coming. Uh, and you can get this book, Defending Conscience, from defendingconscience.com. Uh, in a moment, I'm going to do an interview uh, with a Australian author who has contributed greatly to the space. Now, he's not overtly political. It's actually fiction writing. Uh, and, and that's a really great space that we need to also be aware of and support as much as possible. Those people who are going to be deliberately not woke, even if they're not overtly Christian or conservative, the fact that they've avoided weaving in the virtue signaling issues and ideas and themes that so often pervade modern uh, culture is, is something that needs to be um, supported. Uh, Matt, for you as an author, um, why did you feel the need to put pen to paper and add another book to the vast volumes available on Amazon? Well, because we saw a problem in society and it needed to be addressed. And we, we saw a problem not just in society, but in the church. I mean, as a pastor, obviously, I have a lot of concern for where the church is at and what's happening with the church. But it wasn't just that. It was society had gone crazy and, and ejected so much of the principles. And uh, one of, as a historian, one of the things that I've observed most about history is it's those who write who win the future. You might not win the present necessarily, but if you write, you've got a much better chance of writing in the future. And it's those who write and write profusely who mm. make a difference. And it's not just writing history books. This is basically a history book and a bit of an apologetics book and a bit of a social commentary book all, all wrapped into one. A lot of stories in there, a lot of fun stories in there. Uh, uh, but it's not just writing books like that which win the future. It's, it's writing good stories. I mean, one of the things we remember the most is the, is the movies we watch, the, the good novels we read, even comic books that we read. You, if you want to win the future, you've got to put pen to paper and um, write. Yeah. So that's why we did it. Brett Clark says his copy arrived yesterday. Um, hello to everyone saying hello. Do let us know uh, where you're watching from. If you're watching live, we'd love to see that. Uh, and if you're not watching live, in just a few minutes, we're actually going to end this video, uh, delete the whole live version after we've finished the broadcast. Um, and um, then we need you to finish watching the rest of the show. In fact, you can head across there now, goodsource.news, uh, to watch the whole episode, because what we're not going to do is support censorious big tech um, platforms. Um, so uh, for those people who missed the live show for the last two weeks, um, I was 
traveling to Moree with uh, Chris, my volunteer producer, and we um, hosted the church and state conference in the regional center of Moree, New South Wales. Fantastically attended, about 100 or so people there. Um, and uh, there was some people, there's a lot of young kids in attendance, which was really impressive. Um, and I mean primary school age as well as young high school age and, and, and senior high school as well as university age students. It was, it was really good. Uh, one particular mother and her young high school age maybe year six or seven um, son, we're only planning on coming until dinner time. It's an eight-hour political conference. And they thought, well, eight hours could be a bit much. Um, and her son said, mum, really want to stay. Can we have dinner and, and stay for the whole night? And uh, the content, the speakers were just so fantastic that um, what they planned on doing uh, ended up doubling. And, and that's thanks to James McPherson and Kurt Marlberg and Nikki Arben. Um, who some of you may have heard of, uh, the New South Wales Director of the Australian Christian Lobby. So that's why we didn't have a show for the last two weeks. Um, it takes a, a lot of effort to do that, but we did have a, uh, a repeat. Um, before I go to uh, Alexandra and George, uh, I'd just like to play this interview um, with uh, C.S. Cooper. Now, he's a fantastic, fantastic author. And I have to say, with a, a background in, in many, many industries, uh, one of the common themes professionally for me and what I've always done is sales and marketing. And uh, I really admire a great salesman. And uh, this is the thing about C.S. Cooper. I mean, his, his books are worth reading and he deserves um, support for his mission and, and his uh, creativity. Uh, but one of the things I personally love about him is just how hard working he is as an author. He doesn't sit back and expect people to come to him. He's actually out on the front foot and um, and taking his work to the public uh, very proactively and, and methodically. So I'd really encourage you to support him um, and uh, have a look at that. We will put the link um, uh, to all of these things on the screen as we go, but why don't we take a look at this video uh, of the interview I had with uh, C.S. Cooper right now. Tell me about you, the universe you've created since you were 12 years old. What, one of the things that I pitch it as when I'm trying to sell it to people who, are, who come around, they say, oh, what kind of sci-fi is it? I say, Doctor Who is British sci-fi. Star Wars is American sci-fi. This is Aussie sci-fi. How many books have you published now? Eight. Eight books. So... While I was getting Brunegar ready to publish, uh, I also wrote six more books. I call it the Axel Side. Tell me about your children's book, the one you've got published. Um, what's it called? And uh, what I'll was show it you if you'd like. Yeah, please. This is it. The giant, the giant gingerbread gent. You have some very very nice illustrations about the giant gingerbread gent and the evil old people and of course you can't get more Australian than that. What's different about your writing? Why do you, uh, I, I guess, profile yourself as uh, woke free? You know, when the original, when the, the Star Wars sequels came out, right? Mm -hmm. And Star Wars Episode 7, I went to see it with my best mate when it came out. It was all right. But then, like, I saw a lot of people complaining about it, pointing problems with it. And then Last Jedi came out. I watched Star Trek Discovery. I didn't really like it. Um, and then saw what was happening with Doctor Who as well. We saw a lot of, um, like, 
sci-fi stuff and lots of art that was going in this really, really stupid direction. And I kept hearing people uh, like Carl Benjamin and other other culture commentators, all of them saying that our culture is crap, we part of the language, but we need new, we need someone new, we need new stories, new culture, new creation. And I thought, well, I've done that. I've created this universe that I've been building since I was 12 years old. Do you have any cultural objectives when you're writing either children or adult fiction? Pretty much I'd just like to do something wholesome. Has there been any kind of resistance or difficulties that you've encountered um, as a, a writer of uh, a writer who introduces Christian or or conservative or even just woke free uh, fiction has has that um, hindered you in in any way? No, not not really. Primarily because I don't really talk when I'm trying to sell it. I don't really talk about that stuff. I, I have had a few experiences where um, when I was pitching the Axon Saga, for instance, at a convention in Melbourne, one of the things I said was. Uh, it has a lot of elements from H.P. Lovecraft. And one of these people snarled at me saying, I hope those elements aren't his racism. <laughs> Which I said, no, it has actual elements from his story. And like this woman just marched off in a huff. What kind of distribution channels do you have uh, as a self-published conservative author? Um, are your books available in all good bookstores, as they say? My main sales, well, a lot of my online sales actually go through my website. So like I said, I'm a software engineer. I built my own website from scratch, including the shop system. And I get, uh, I get orders through there all the time. But mainly the most sales that I make are at conventions, face-to-face -face sales. If there was any fictional character outside those that you've created, but um, if there was any fictional character uh, that you could bring into real life and have interact with the world just the way they do in, in their fictional universe, who would it be? I think Captain America, to be yeah. honest. Like, it's the first one I can think of off the top of my head. Maybe also Crocodile Dundee because both of, both of them, they're both, like, from differing perspectives, but both of them are, like, sort of real life, like not real life, but how would you describe it? Men who have had real experiences really understand a lot of how the world works. Ooh, and yeah. especially Crocodile Dundee, he comes to least in the big city where pretty much no one has experienced real life. Everything is artificial for these people. And then this guy comes along and he's actually he's actually fought real danger, real suffering. And so when somebody comes at him with a switchblade, he brings out a friggin' machete. <laughs> so, well, C.S. Cooper, it's been uh, fantastic getting to know you and introducing you to my audience. Thank you for your time. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me on. I really appreciate it, man. My pleasure. Well, that was uh, Craig Cooper, C.S. Cooper, as he's known. And uh, we're actually going to uh, go to the website now for those people who are watching live. Don't do anything. Don't go anywhere. You can keep watching this. But if you are watching this in delayed stream, uh, you the clip will be running out on Facebook and YouTube. You've got seconds left. Please head to uh, goodsource.news to watch the rest of this great video. We're going to be talking about the rest 
of uh, what we can do with the rest of the panel. Uh, we're going to be talking about what we can do to, to do work like C.S. Cooper, um, writing fiction to replace and dilute and displace the poisonous guff that's coming through uh, academia and Hollywood and news media and, and literature. Um, so head over to goodsource.news uh, and look for that episode there um, talking about um, fighting for our culture. Uh, Ellie Melly, uh, what do you think? I know you are a huge fan of science fiction and uh, some of the alternative and independent authors. Um, had you heard of C.S. Cooper before? Uh, no, but I am. I actually started as a science fiction author. So I know I write politics now, but my entire life before that was spent writing sci-fi. I still do. So I've written over, like, for example, a million words in the uh, Game of Thrones fandom. I've been finishing the novels there with my wow. large fandom who follow it. That's how much people know me. And I've got two original sci-fi books of my own, which are set between Australia and Mars, which explore the enduring nature, uh, nature of both humanity and love and the limits of science. And so I understand the need to write without reference to all of this garbage work politics, because honestly, uh, the uh, original nature of fiction and telling good stories and entertaining people is far more important than trying to push a political message. And so we've lost so much as a culture as far as storytelling goes by trashing good stories and good characters with this superficial political narrative, which has made everything look exactly the same. So, yes, I really would like to see better content, but we're not going to get it when we've got universities who teach the next generation of writers not to write, but to uh, produce propaganda. And that's all we're getting. And we're getting it out of Hollywood. We're getting it out of Netflix. We're getting it out of Amazon. As I'm sure George will uh, debate with me here, we've got the Rings of Power coming up, with which Amazon has based its entire future on. And all it is is more political nonsense. They've been abusing their fans and trashing the story of, uh, of uh, Tolkien. And they're not producing good content anymore. And it's been lost on on both sides of politics and conservatives don't even bother with the arts anymore because they know they can't get an education and then they don't get any funding and uh, they get shouted down if they try and produce anything. And it's a real shame because we did have a thriving community. Yeah. George, what's happening with uh, the Lord of the Rings? The, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm devastated. I'm looking forward to this. Uh, my wife and I are huge fans, huge fans. Don't, of look, forward, don't look forward to it, Dave. It's, yeah. You're going to be sad. Oh, no. I'll, I'll Come with low expectations. I'll probably be watching it through, you know, with gritted teeth because I'm a huge Tolkien fan. I mean, uh, got just about every book um, that, that he wrote and then also the books that other people have written about Tolkien. So uh, I'll be watching it, but uh, look, you know, I'll probably regret doing so. It's a bit like Doctor Who. And look, I, don't, I didn't actually know until uh, Alexandra talked about uh, Netflix banking everything on it. That, um, Amazon. Uh, it's an uh, Amazon. Sorry, sorry. Amazon, Amazon. Amazon. You're right. You're right. Amazon banking everything on it. Um, that'll be interesting because uh, the old saying is, you know, Go woke, go broke, and perhaps uh, Amazon. I mean, they're, they're going to be carrying the J.R. Tolkien name to to get the ratings. People like me who are suckers for Tolkien will sure. watch it. Um, but I've got to tell you, if uh, if it's going to completely and utterly destroy the legacy, I'll probably switch off rather early. And and look, sad to say, I actually did that with the last few seasons of Doctor Who. 
Uh, I am eventually going to watch them. I've got to say, I haven't watched uh, all. No, of them. don't, don't do it. No, 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 don't, don't do it. Don't do it. I, 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 I wish I had yeah. it. Please I, I, don't. I, I, it's ruined I, it forever. You can't I'm do glad it. You're saying that. I, I want to undo the watching of it. They trashed the entire. I used to be a huge fan, and now I literally want to yeah. throw my DVDs away. They've ruined the entire legacy of Doctor Who. Can't well, stand. I'm so furious. The point is that um, they, they. This is what happens when leftists try to just use uh, institutions like this, and we've got several of them. You know, Doctor Who is one of them. Star Wars, Star Trek. James Bond even, and they grab these institutions and try and make them woke. And it always, always fails because people don't want to sit through political lectures uh, when they're turning to speculative fiction. They want to, they want escapism. They want escapism from all of this crap that's literally shoved down our throats daily in this world we live in. So turning speculative fiction into uh, some uh, wokeista fantasy well, uh, that's already happening here in reality, folks. We don't need it in our speculative fiction as well. So, yeah. um, and I'm going to say that, again, the old story of Go Work, Go Broke, Doctor Who, the ratings were failing and they've gotten rid of the female Doctor, they've gotten rid of the uh, current showrunner and they're bringing back the one for the original series who did put a little bit of, you know, sometimes uh, political messaging sometimes there was some things there that might offend a conservative or a christian but not much it was about good stories fun stories um well, and and he's coming back and he said he's going to turn it all on its head i think that we're going to, what we're going to look at with these last few series of doctor who and the last james bond movie and all of these uh things that have destroyed these franchises is really really professional fan fiction which will just simply scrub out as not being part of the official canon of the That's stories. me. That's what I spend my life doing, writing fan <laughs> fiction. No, but just, just to quickly answer Dave's question, my uh, first love was always Stargate. I still love Stargate. I grew up in the Stargate oh, fandom. Okay. They would take a complex topic like what if we could make life better by tracking everybody but this was a, a revolutionary topic when it was written in the late 90s and then they will talk about the pros and cons in a story and that's yes that's politics but when we talk about work we don't just mean politics and fiction we mean a non-debated piece of propaganda which the fiction is wrapped around it to promote it rather than having an in integrity and story of its own that's what we mean by work and that's why it is failing in literature and that's what we have to get away from. Go back to telling real stories with real concepts and get away from basically propaganda. Mm, absolutely. Matt, you going to jump in with something? Well, firstly, uh, Stargate SG-1 is one of the greatest science fiction shows ever on TV. So I'm also, I'm excited to find out Alexandra's a big Stargate fan. I am too. Colonel I have the U.S. box sets right next to me. The special U.S. box sets are over here. I rescued them from the flood. That's awesome. The good thing about what's happening with modern science fiction and fantasy is uh, the, the leftists are making the same mistake of a lot of Christian fiction. Uh, and there is good Christian fiction and there's bad Christian fiction. And the bad Christian fiction wants to preach to you first and entertain you second. And that's what leftists are now doing. And what they're doing is they're driving people away. People hate being preached at when they want to relax and, mm. and, and just enjoy something. Mm. And you can weave all sorts, of, like Andrew was saying, you can weave all sorts of political themes into good science fiction. In fact, a good science fiction show, that's part of what it's designed to do, explore different ideas, how they impact humans. 
uh, and and Stargate SG One does that better than most shows. Star Trek, uh, the, uh, the Next Generation did it really well as well. But when you're when when the preaching becomes paramount and becomes the main aim of the show, then people hate it. And with with um, Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power, <laughs> I won't be watching it. Uh, I won't watch the Wheel of Time. What Amazon has done, I'm a big Wheel of Time fan. I'm a big Lord yeah, of the Rings. So am I. I refuse to Shocking. watch it. I refuse to give them my time. I watched but one episode. You can what's terrible. gone wrong with the Lord of the Rings? Rings of Power with just this one statement. Jeff Bezos wanted his own Game of Thrones. And those of you who are not aware of what the difference between Game of Thrones and Lord of the Rings is, is Game of Thrones is a de is, is, is designed to deconstruct the kind of world that Tolkien built. Uh, Tolkien built a high fantasy, uh, not utopian, but um, beautiful world, which you could look towards as this, is this amazing place where all of these grand heroes lived and which you, you can get inspired from. What what uh, what George R. R. Martin did with Game of Thrones is he deconstructed that and took quite um, uh, what it seems in his stories at least pleasure in destroying those heroes and breaking them down and eventually giving the world over to the worst characters possible, which is what happens mm. in that series. So to say that you want to take the Lord of the Rings name and attach it to Game of Thrones is literally to subvert it and destroy it and turn it into something it was never designed to be. So I would encourage you, George, don't even punish yourself by watching the previews. Ellie, what other insights on on? Uh, tell me more details. Like, what have you heard about um, Amazon stuffing up the the new series, and how? It's it's nothing but a an attempt to rebuild the Amazon brand to make all of its little checkbox work topics happy. So a perfect example is they've been doing all these promotional videos with the stars, and the first thing that the person of color dwarf, who's a female says is it's about representation it's about finally having us mm. in the role she said nothing about the universe nothing about the story only that they had to deconstruct tolkien to make it suitable for modern audiences because his story wasn't acceptable because it didn't have enough representation and that tells you everything you need to know about the fact that amazon has no interest in the story, no interest in what Tolkien was trying to say with his story. It's about taking a vague idea, almost like a photograph of Tolkien's world and saying, we're going to use this to inspire us to make some woke crap fest that we can market and hopefully make money out of whilst getting our little virtue points together. And its, it's promo videos were so bad that it had to sit there and delete literally millions of negative downvotes and comments of people tearing it to pieces. And, they, and they've told the fandom that basically if you're a traditional Tolkien fan, don't bother watching because this show is not for you. And Dan it's what they uh, commented, Amazon fired Lord of the Rings expert and advisor Tom Shippey because he kept commenting that the fans won't be happy with the changes. Ellie, George, I think we're going to have to have a weekly debrief on how badly Bezos has stuffed up Lord of the Rings. I'm not going to watch it. I'm not. George can watch well, it so that we'll, none of us have to because I'm I'll, not going to submit myself to I'll that do, crap. You can do I'll it, George. I'll do the dirty I work. Do, I'll do I the dirty work. But the, the first instance that we have one orc that's presented as a good guy or something like that, I'm out, I'm done. <laughs> oh, you know it's coming. You know it's coming. It's, oh. it's, it's, they'll, it's be they'll, have, they'll have multiple genders. There'll be orcs with pronouns, right? That'll be the first thing. And they'll have glitter makeup, but then that will be offensive because, of course, you can't have orcs representing in the wrong – it's just going to be a nightmare. It's going to collapse in on itself immediately. I'm definitely watching it, and uh, we will bring you that update next week. How badly has Amazon 
stuffed up Lord of the Rings. Um, I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope you, I hope you're wrong. I hope it it lives up to Tolkien's uh, standards. But uh, but uh, do you yeah. know where it came from? Where? If I remember correctly, there was some kind of legal legal court case where uh, basically um, I can't remember the details, so I shouldn't I shouldn't say too much. But but there was some kind of legal court case which gave Amazon the rights to make something as long as it didn't touch the world of the books. But he only they only own the, a very it's very small amount of the content of the intellectual content. But I think they've expanded it slightly now. But yeah, they're basically trying to make a show with almost no intellectual content and no referencing of most things. And so oh, that's, that's why you've got this. Well, let's uh, let's move on to the next topic. But first, uh, just a couple of promos. Uh, first of all, uh, in just a month, just over a month, we've got CPAC. This is uh, where conservatives come to play. So the banner says. Uh, the CPAC stands for Conservative Political Action Conference. It's a brand imported from America. It's a great idea, one of the good things that uh, we should copy from the States. Uh, and um, Ronald Reagan was the first president that spoke at a CPAC conference. So this isn't uh, new. This is actually quite a good legacy and tradition of conservatives getting together to uh, discuss and explore good ideas uh, without having to go over the basics like uh, freedom is good for people, socialism bad. Uh, it's on the 1st to 2nd October, um, so the first few days next month, Saturday and Sunday. And uh, if you would like to get 10% off your tickets, use the code GOODSOURCE. Head to cpac.network forward slash, well, cpac.network, you'll be able to find the register buttons there. Uh, the full details are on the screen, um, but cpac.network is the website address you need and use the code GOODSOURCE, no spaces, one word, GOODSOURCE to uh, get yourself 10% off the uh, joining code there. Now, something else that we're going to do is uh, while all the uh, boring people are going to the gala dinner at CPAC, there's a consecutive event um, that's being run with uh, CPAC's blessing for the audience of the Good Source and other independent media people, uh, people who go to the Church and State Summit, your chance to meet with some of the authors and writers and thinkers and presenters and speakers um, and, and each other, of course, will be a private dinner. Um, and that is um, going to be at a restaurant within walking distance of where the CPAC conference is being held. Uh, I think that venue is still secret, so um, the lefties can't troll it like they did Luna Park. If you'd like to come along, um, then pay attention to the Good Source newsletter. We're going to send you uh, an opportunity to come to dinner there. It's uh, $10 to register your spot for dinner with uh, the right-thinking media personalities, uh, some of us in Australia. So, uh, Ellie, you'll be at dinner with us, will you? As far as I know, yes. And, and just a, the whole as CPAC as thing long is fun. Yeah, as long as it's a walk. No, the whole thing about CPAC is it's fun. And uh, the last time we got trolled by the left, I think it was Antifa, we managed to liberate their flag from them. So uh, <laughs> it is a great time. Everyone should sign up and come. There's no better conference in the year than to come to a CPAC conference. Yeah, that's right. Um, and another, um, sorry, George, were you trying to say something? Can I jump in there to say we haven't been outraged enough yet by the fact that Luna Park cancelled on CPAC because of of leftists um, yep. uh, basically doing their usual cancel culture routine. And it's just absolutely disgraceful. This is a mainstream 
political event. This is not yeah. like, you know, far-right activists. There's no neo-Nazis turning up. There's no uh, racist groups turning up or anything like that. Uh, you know, this is endorsed by two former prime ministers, uh, John Howard, Tony Abbott. I mean, yep. uh, how more, much more mainstream do you want to get? And yet uh, even One of which this, is speaking there. Uh, it's just one, unbelievable that even something yeah. as mainstream as that, uh, that, that Lunar Park engaged in such cancel culture. Uh, and i got to tell you, I'm starting to get to the point where it's like, let's fight fire with fire. No one should go to Lunar Park. No one should go to Lunar Park now. You know, like, I 100% that's, that's, agree. That's, that, that's just outrageous that they would do that. Um, yeah. And so what? it's even worse that the organisers of CPAC now are having to keep the venue for uh, the, the new venue for the event quiet so that they also don't get uh, get cancelled from that. Um, and too much of this has gone on and really there needs to be a pushback against it. I, I do agree. And I think the... Um the secret is is to actually find people who think like us and believe like us and prefer them um, for our consumer choices wherever possible. Obviously, there's not a there's a there's not a conservative or right wing lunar park, um, and then wherever possible, not to just prefer right thinkers and freedom lovers, but also to actively boycott and do something other than like I'll never buy. Ben and Jerry's ice cream, never, ever, ever, because of the way they so aggressively, proactively forget their mission selling ice cream and try and change society, uh, campaigning against me, against my family, my beliefs, my church, uh, my politics. They actually say I'm a terrible person if I don't believe what they believe. Well, screw you, Ben and Jerry's. I'm never going to give you a dollar ever again. There's plenty of other brands of ice cream. It's real easy to uh, vote with your dollars. Matt, what do you think? Consumer activism, a uh, winning strategy or splashing at the shallow end of the pool without getting us anywhere? I, I think we should not give our money to things that hate us as much as possible. I mean, no one's going to be perfect at it, but one of the reasons I won't go to the movies anymore is because I'm sick of Hollywood's nonsense. Now, I still love movies. I'll, I'll buy them secondhand off eBay. So it's not that I don't watch movies. I just buy them in such a way that I'm not giving my money to Hollywood. There's a lot of things like that that I do. I cancelled Netflix, cancelled Stan, um, cancelled a whole bunch of other things because I, I do not want to give my money to things which hate me. I want to give them to things that do. So if there was a Daily Wire movie being um, shown at the box office, um, would you still boycott or would you go to that? No, I'm not going to go to the cinemas. Um, I, I've just made... I'm, and I'm, look, I also don't tell other people that's what they should do either. I mean, it's up to you. What What are the things where you draw the line? I've just made that a personal choice. Uh, and I mean, so much of the stuff which was coming out is trash anyway. I was very tempted to go see the new Top Gun movie. That was hard to not see because I, I've heard it's really good and I'm a big Top Gun fan and apparently it wasn't woke. But uh, you've, got to, you've got to draw lines in the sand. It's not just... It's not useless. Money speaks. And if enough yep. people... One of the biggest problems with conservatives, in my view is how willing they are to give money to people who hate them. Yeah. And so don't, just don't do it. And if you don't do it, then those people who want to get your money will go, well, we've got to change things to reattract these customers. Yeah. Uh, and the left, I think, get that really well. They're very good at boycotting things which they disagree oh, with. Massively. They are very good at it. Ellie, do we have a chance of being as effective uh, with consumer activism as the left are? Can it work for us? 
Well, sure. This is the uh, perfect opportunity to say, please like, subscribe and sign up to The Spectator, your uh, centrist conservative news source, uh, because we do tell the stories that you want to hear and we do fight back against all this sort of rubbish. And you won't read it in the mainstream media, certainly not in uh, the, you won't see it on TV. Most of the channels have gone completely mental. So if you want to see and hear the right stories, then you have to support them. And if you want to, you know, stop this uh, collision course with woke, then yes, you're right. Don't keep spending money on things that uh, are supporting the far left narrative, which is leading to things like institutionalized racism in the constitution. Like the, the further they get empowered and the more they think this is ac acceptable behavior, they're actually snowballing towards something even worse. So there has to be some kind of breaks put on this idea that it's almost like the ideology is bored. And so in its boredom and in its, you know, assumed success, it's getting corrupted and even worse every week that passes something, something else is coming. So yeah, you, it, we, the conservatives are about half the population and yet we hear almost nothing from you. It could be because the base is split because there's no true conservative party up there talking and so everyone's floundering mm -hmm. around. But it's going to have to come from the base to direct politicians because the politicians have lost their way completely. I uh, like what Robert says on the screen now. Do not buy that brand of cheese that used to be called Coon uh, <laughs> because of of their uh, because of of their kowtowing uh, to this ridiculous blacktivist activism that that just says essentially white guilt. Uh, well, it doesn't matter anymore, Dave. There's not going to be any cheese. We're not allowed to have dairy products. It's going to be, I don't know, cockroach <laughs> batter or something. Oh, there, there's no, a way. No, no, there's no, a way no, to no. blend uh, pupa of bugs in such a way that it cre creates a dairy-like substance. Oh, that's brutal. Uh, but anyway, uh, <laughs> let's uh, let's just uh, talk about the church and state. So we we had church and state more recently. The videos will be free and available um, soon as we edit them. Um, and and that was a fantastic success. So following that success and before the, the Australian Summit, which is held in Brisbane in the first weekend in March, uh, we're actually taking the conference to Adelaide. So if you're in South Australia and you can get to Adelaide, um, we have got a great conference coming up there with Senator Alex Antic, uh, James McPherson, myself, uh, and uh, one of the local pastors there who's very, very outspoken and prophetic in the way he's just fearlessly declaring truth uh, to not only his congregation, but also the business world and the political spheres that, that he moves in. Um, so Church and State Adelaide coming up on the 5th of November. Again, a half-day conference, Saturday afternoon and evening, uh, but so full of exciting speakers and good content as well as extended periods of time to just connect with each other and the speakers and um, just be encouraged in this good work uh, that uh, you don't want to miss out on that. It's the 5th of November. Tickets aren't quite on sale yet, but there is a waiting list. Please uh, go to churchandstate.com.au forward slash Adelaide and join the waiting list there um, and we will get you those ticket details as soon as possible. And um, if you're listening to this in after a few days since broadcast, the tickets may even already be available there, churchandstate.com.au forward slash Adelaide. Um, now, Matt, I want to throw to you now to introduce this topic. Um, let's start with just an overview um, without going into too much detail about your position, but um, debt, student debt and, and that debt forgiveness, um, 
you, you know what, actually do go into the, the details and then um, explain the general reaction and your thoughts on that. And then we'll uh, throw to Ellie and George for some of their thoughts. All right. So imagine you're very young. Well, you were very young once. <laughs> And you start school and everyone around you has student loans. Your teachers have student loans, your teacher's aides, probably even your parents have student loans. And, and you're being taught from a young age the importance of education and education is really important. And from that very young time when you start your education, you're told to aspire to different professions. And when you're young, you might want to be a fireman or something like that. But as you get older, you're told about professions that require degrees. And you're taught from that very early age, the importance of getting that degree. Your parents tell you how important it is. Your uncle and auntie tell you how important it is. Your friends, your pastor, your advisors, your school counselor, your teachers, everyone's telling you how important it is that you get that degree, but to get it, you have to get a loan. And then you finally graduate from school. You're just barely legal enough to be legally accountable for your decisions. And then you sit down and you sign away on the dotted line and you get yourself into serious debt to get the loan, which you've been taught yourself your entire life that you need. Now, to make the situation even worse, that is a loan for, from an institution, which is basically worthless because you cannot take that loan and resell it for the value you paid for it. And you're not guaranteed to get a job from it. In fact, you're not guaranteed to get a, a decent job. You might actually never end up using that degree, which happens to a lot of university students, especially today with the amount of degrees. Are. And to compound the situation in the United States, you're not allowed to go chapter 11 on that Loan. And what that means is you're not allowed to go bankrupt and wipe that debt. That debt stays with you unless you get special dispensation from the government. And to compound the situation and make it even worse, because you can borrow and the, 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 the institution can sign you up for a debt, they can rise their prices, rising the costs of getting those degrees. And it's all backed by government guarantees, which means you get into debt for something which is worth far less than what you end up paying for it. And then what happens if your life goes not according to plan and you end up getting into debt uh, and you cannot pay your student loans? You're stuck with them. And this is the situation of a lot of people in the United States today. They have a very yeah. unjust system and it's very different to what we experience here. And it's, it's, it's actually quite common for two professional people in the United States, uh, 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 two, a husband and wife, say they're both teachers, to never be able to afford to buy a house because they have to pay off their student loans first and pay rent and save all at the same time. And this is an incredibly difficult situation. And so for a long time now, a lot of activists, not just on the left, but also on the right, I'm not a lefty. Those of you who've listened for a while know this, know, uh, have been advocating that something be done about this. And so Biden has now done something about this. He's actually set up a system where Pell Grant receivers, which are people from low-income families, can get $20,000 of their student loans canceled, not paid, canceled, because these, uh, debts are owed to the government and non-Pell Grant receivers can get $10,000 worth of their student debts. And this is for people who earn under $125,000 a year or a combined family, a household income of $250,000, which means this is predominantly going to low-income people who are most in danger of getting in trouble with their loans, which have been on a pause since the COVID years, because they were the people who were most affected by the COVID lockdowns, by the shutdown of factories and by by all of the economic disasters which happened in the last two years, what the Biden government did is put a pause on their loans, which has been extended to December 31st, but in January 2023, they will have to pay them again to help protect these people from going bankrupt and losing other aspects of their life, but still keeping their loans, the Biden-Harris government is forgiving them. So that's my introduction. Ellie, 
Um, are you across all of those details? Do you think that's a, a good idea, has some merit, or is uh, totally bereft of any redeeming virtue? Well, first of all, it hasn't been done for any of the reasons stated. It's been done because Biden's popularity is sinking like a bloody stone in the US and you need some way out of it. And this is what was, uh, if you actually listen to the conversations in the US, it was pretty much pushed on him as an option to try and recover some of his popularity, a very poorly thought out uh, idea that was trending. Uh, but the, uh, what underpins the whole thing, of course, is fairness. So human beings as a society will put up with a lot of laws and, and a lot of things, but fairness between each other is one of the fundamental ideas of a successful society. And what's happened, and you can listen to the commentary <clears throat> in the US, is people who chose not to, like, don't forget, these are, are young adults. So we're saying that children, these people can choose their gender and mutilate their bodies, but they can't work out whether or not to sign or a dotted line for a debt. So they've changed, they've taken the idea up, they've signed up for debt, they want these degrees, and the most of the degrees they're taking up are useless and they should not have taken them up anyway, but that's their own choice. <coughs> they are then going into the, getting all the benefits of these degrees and other people who sat there responsibly, picked their degrees properly, paid for them, got into the workforce, or maybe they didn't get a degree. Maybe they sat there and went through the alternative education that's offered there, which don't have the debts. And they are now being told, well, your sacrifice, your hard work, your prudence, your economic uh, choices, you're going to be punished for it by paying for other people's mistakes. And civilization hates that. Human beings hate it. And so now you've got the working class, the poorer people who didn't take on the debts, who went and worked instead, they are now watching their taxpayer dollars cancel the debts of basically liberal arts students who are the most painful people in US society to start with. And that's where this massive society, no, no, that's wait, but that's where, that's where the argument is coming from. So if you listen to the US, these are the people who are screeching at each other, the very poor working class, are unhappy that the Democrats are paying off the loans of basically art students, and that's where it's coming from. Now, whether or not, like, I think the best summary has been done by Ben Shapiro on The Daily Wire. He went through about how one Biden can't really do what he said he's going to do. It doesn't solve the problem that universities are way overpriced. They're producing crap degrees, and mm. this all this basically encourages them to lift their prices and to keep going in this uh, situation it doesn't stop, like the only way this whole system stops and correct itself is if people stop taking out student loans, stop going to these universities for rubbish degrees and businesses start hiring people who don't have the degrees. Now, none of what Biden's done fixes the problem. It only continues uh, what's happening and creates a lot of public anger in the process. I think, it'll, I think it'll damage him at the next election. I think a lot of Democrats who are hardworking are going to walk away from Biden based on this because they are so furious with what has happened. George, uh, just get you to unmute yourself. And um, is well, look, Ellie uh, right? Is there such a thing uh, as a rubbish degree? I mean, why can't oh, yes. somebody with a Bachelor in Feminist Interpretive Dance Theory expect oh, to earn just as much as a brain surgeon? Well, um, because, uh, David, if you want a, um, someone with Feminist Dance Theory to operate on your brain, then good luck to you. That's why. <laughs> I mean... Uh, you know there 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 is there is bugger all market for interpretive dance, uh, let alone feminist interpretive dance. Um, there is a very highly specialised market for brain surgery, and this is it. But look, let's just say that uh, Matt's got a good point. Uh, Alexandra's got a good point. I think both are probably right. But there's a nuance here. I can't talk about the US system. I don't know much about it. Uh, I think Alexandra's right in terms of this is just Biden trying to save his flailing and failing political career. Uh, he isn't, uh, I, I say he's the illegitimate 
um, resident of the White House, actually, and uh, hopefully that'll be rectified in a few years. Um, yeah. But uh, there used to be, used to be, I don't hear it so much now, but there used to be this big uh, song and dance made about uh, hex, as we used to call it. It's now called, I think, help or something like that. Um, hex in Australia, the higher education contribution scheme. And I used to think that this is just rubbish, all these student union activists going off about hex. I mean, I was that, that was not a bother to me. It was no barrier to me going to university. I was able to go to university as someone from a low-income family and, and put it basically on a credit card that I could I only needed to repay when I could afford to repay it. So that's our system. Now, I wonder how different the US version is. And I just did a quick bit of research and found actually for people who are in the situation where their university debts are high, but they've got modest income, that they can go on a particular plan called the Income Driven Repayment Plan. And that allows them to cap their monthly payments at certain rates that it never, ever goes over. And if they keep on doing it under these systems for 20 to 25 years, depending on which option they pick, um, the balance of their debt is forgiven already under the scheme. So uh, given that I know that now, it's not too far from the Australian system. I don't know why you would need to actually forgive a whole heap of debts. But look, I don't know the intricacies about it. All I know is that this issue is probably not one. It, it may be one that we could uh, divide on, you know, the conservative versus socialist sort of lines. Um, is it one that can be divided along lines of theology or religion? Well, no. And the best thing I saw was uh, Ali Beth Stuckey, who's just uh, a great, great commentator, and she's got a great yeah. Twitter account. Someone's written out there, it's bold of Christians to be mad about student debt forgiveness while professing a faith that is literally based on forgiving debts. And Ali Beth Stuckey replies, in Christianity, Jesus voluntarily paid the debt of sin we couldn't pay. With student loans, the government is forcing people to pay for the debts of others. Hope this helps. I think, I think George is right. Uh, I think what the interesting thing there is, George, it's not it's actually not a Republican Democrat issue at all. What's surprised Biden and what's surprised a lot of Democrat commentators is how many Democrat voters are furious because they've got a lot of low working class people who are just paying taxes and who didn't go to uni. And they're the ones who are now interrupting press conferences and approaching Democrat leaders to shout at them. It's not even Republicans expected this to happen. The Democrats are like, how dare you? So I think that's going to be the major surprise there for the Biden government. But Matt, polls, is this uh, a fundamental misunderstanding of the burden on the taxpayers? Yes, absolutely. So this is firstly, a lot of people are misunderstanding because the um, Western governments are so irresponsible with stimulus and they give away too much money all the time. People have just automatically assumed that's what's happening here. That's not what's happening. The Biden government is not printing money to pay off student debts. These debts are owed to the federal government. Ali Beth Stuckley's actually got it exactly backwards. I'm sorry, but she got it wrong, George. See, what happened in the scriptures is God cancelled debts that were owed to him through Jesus on the cross. And what Biden has done is cancelled debts that were owed to the federal government um, by just wiping them, by cancelling them, not by paying them, by wiping them. So I, I, not, but people, I, don't, but people don't care. People literally don't care. Like if you actually no, listen to the conversation, it's that. not about the money. No, no, but it's not no. about the money. People who worked hard don't like seeing the government give them other people benefits when they didn't get them for working hard. It's like they're being 
punished for their own responsible economic responsibility. It doesn't matter where the money comes from. It doesn't matter how much money is being given out. If you listen to what they're saying, no one cares about the money, about the government. It's about the physical reward or punishment that an individual gets from their government, mm. and that's what they don't like. It, it is. Can I just jump in with a question, though? Can I just jump in with a question, though, to Matt? George, just hold on to that for a second, will you please? But, but, yeah, I will, I will. Um, it is bad optics, Ellie. Um, the PR is lost for Biden, um, but it is based in ignorance and only optics. It's not based on a substantive understanding of it, and that's what Matt's speaking to, not the, not the merits of Biden's um, PR stunt, which, which has failed. But well, it hasn't failed. This is what I want to speak to. So as I was going to say before, well, uh, it hasn't failed. Polls show Politically, it's failed. No, 65% of Americans are on board with this. So I was just listening to this on the way. Polls showed 35% of Americans were against the debt forgiveness for students. Uh, 30% believed that it went far enough. And 35% believed that it went more. Now, I might have got those second two figures wrong. But what the polls showed is two-thirds of Americans are on board with this. And it was something like 60% of people who had no student loan themselves were actually in support of the student debt forgiveness. And remember, this was a campaign promise. This is actually a politic. Now, I'm not a Biden fan. I, I hope I don't need to prove that, but I'm not a Biden fan. <laughs> I don't even believe that he was the duly elected president. I mean, we could go Agreed. down that rabbit hole if you wanted to. Agreed. But this was a campaign, a campaign promise, which he has followed through on. I agree with Alexander completely. It is also a cynical ploy because the midterm elections are coming up. But if you're going to have cynical ploys, I want them to be ones that politicians promise before they are elected and follow through on. I mean, that's arguably speaking the best kind of cynical ploy. And it's actually working. Biden's poll numbers have gone up. Most Americans are on board with this. There is a small amount of very vocal people who are upset about it. And I understand. I agree with you that it's not fair. It is not fair. Mercy is never fair. And I would argue that this doesn't go far enough. And the reason it doesn't go far enough, and you guys have kind of already spoken. Before you go on to that point, yes. George, you've got a question for Matt. That's, yeah. I, I like where yeah. you're going, but yeah. George. Look, uh, it just goes back to the economics of it. You said at the start something that, I, that really, really puzzled me. Whether you agree with this or not, I mean, I really, I quite honestly don't have a dog in this fight. Um, so, but but the, Good the, way point, to about, the point about uh, that no one's paying for it, that this is just money that's being forgiven, we're just putting a line on a, on a ledger, that, that, that's that got to be nonsense, Matt. I mean, let, let me just uh, explain and then I'm going to ask you to clarify. Yep. So I'm a university student in the US. Uh, uh, my degree costs something. There's an actual cost to it. What happens is the government, uh, i.e. the taxpayer, picks up the tab for it on the proviso that I am going to pay that back to the government, i.e. the taxpayer. So, so it's a loan. We go in, we enter into it knowing that's what the situation is. So someone pays, ultimately it's me. Uh, in the short term, it's the taxpayer, but I'm paying the taxpayer back. So if you take my part out of it, paying back the taxpayer, then obviously the burden's completely and utterly fallen on the taxpayer. Tell me how I'm wrong with that, because you said something at the start that indicated that that was a wrong way of thinking. 
Well, the, it's 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 not completely wrong. I'm not completely disagreeing with it, Lucinda. So in a sense, you are correct because taxpayers have already paid it when the money came out and then that money is not being paid back in. But you are wrong that it's the burden on the taxpayer because people forget that America is a reserve currency system. When they want extra money, they just print it. And just in the last couple of years, they printed trillions of dollars and gave it to the financial elites through the, through the stock market to keep yes. the stock market afloat. Um, Trump gave one of the biggest i remember when conservatives were angry when and when uh, obama gave like 800 billion dollars to the financial markets back in 2008 to try and limit the crash well trump went well beyond that with the it, well the government under his ra watch put in trillions and so not necessarily does money from the american government actually come from the taxpayer some of it actually comes through this printing where they literally take a computer i've watched the federal reserve guy lead guy explain it they type it onto the screen and just create that money and push it into the economy. It's one of the reasons why America is able to play with so much debt because they are reserve currency. So there's not you're not completely wrong, but it's not the full picture. But what I'm pointing out is there's no excess burden going on to the taxpayer going forward. This is just being cancelled out of debts owed to the government, which means it's not, it, what's actually happening is deflation is happening because money is actually being removed from the economy. And we actually need deflation. And when I say things aren't going far, far enough, what I mean by that is the actual, and Ali, Ali spoke to this and she was absolutely correct. The whole university debt-based system is broken. And they, mm. what should be changed is the government should not be backing student loans. Universities should be backing them and they should be guaranteeing that these student loans will lead to jobs and they, should be, um, they shouldn't be getting this government money into it, which makes the prices go up. So that's what I mean by it's not going far enough. If it just stops here, it has the potential to just exacerbate the problem by encouraging people to get lots of debt. But if it goes further and actually stops the system and the way it's working, it's actually a good thing. So that's what I mean by that. Ellie, uh, you've been very patient for a little bit. Do you have some extra thoughts to jump in with now? Uh, I just to repeat that Shapiro was, I mean, you should watch Shapiro, uh, Shapiro's review of it all about how it makes the situation for universities worse. If you want to fix universities in America, you stop subsidising bad degrees and you make sure that if people want those terrible degrees, they have to pay for them. And that now, will result uh, in less just, people having... A lot of countries incentivise degrees that lead to people having meaningful jobs. They don't right. incentivise degrees that have a history or a, a no real market benefit. So if you want to have five degrees in the arts, that's fine, but you self-fundue degrees for the arts. That's fine. Yeah. But if you want to have a degree in engineering, the state says, that's great, we'll give you a 30% discount because we're pretty sure we want more engineers in the state, that kind of thing. At the moment, yeah. the US, and this is going to make it worse, the US said you were irresponsible, you took out these degrees, uh, which a lot of a lot of the student debt being forgiven is for degrees that are not going to earn these people any money, which is why they haven't been able to pay them off to start with. Now, yeah. that is saying, that's fine, you took out irresponsible degrees, we're going to cover the tab for you. And the next generation is going to do exactly the same thing, hoping that, it's, that the taxpayer picks up the bill again. And the next time this happens. So you're not actually breaking a cycle that's going on here. You're not punishing the universities. Like if the Biden government wants to do anything, why not punish the universities for selling these terrible degrees and for exactly. leading all these children to debt? Like why not go back and say, well, sorry, universities, you had a great time for the last 20 years. We're now going to make you cover some of the burden of the student debt. You know, yeah. why not do what that instead? Things? Now that would really work. What I want to point out is that this is a very American conversation and we're always going to have very American conversations. Uh, uh, most right-thinking Australians are very interested in American politics generally. 
but don't think it's not applicable to the Australian context. Uh, like George said, there are some similarities and some dissimilarities uh, with Australia's student debt uh, financing systems, uh, and and they're very instructive. And, and sometimes we're talking about hypotheticals, uh, which are a place that we want to go uh, or should encourage society to go. Maybe over decades uh, in the direction of and and I. I've been listening to Matt talk about debt forgiveness, and I think there's a lot of credit to it. Not the socialism idea, and certainly not the capitalism idea, but the biblical idea where there is a forewarned uh, cycle of, of debt forgiveness which releases people and sustains civilizations. And this is a very complex, profound, and, and deep uh, topic that takes a lot of conversations to get a, a proper grasp of. Um, but, you know, Matt's explained to me... Um, about civilizations that have collapsed um, partly because of of the piles of debt. Have I said that right or said that wrong, Matt? I no, don't want to. You, you've said it. I right. don't want to say it too simplistically because moral <laughs> decay is a very prominent reason for civilization collapse. Absolutely. So you're you're correct. Uh, so whether you go back to ancient Babylon, ancient Sumer, the ancient Romans, ancient Greeks, even the the Byzantium civilization, which was uh, defeated in the more modern era in the 1500s, sorry, the, the 1400s, the 15th century, um, you'll see that debt forgiveness was always a conservative policy. And what I mean by that, it was a policy which was designed to conserve people's ability to keep their land. Because the strength of a society is land-owning people who produce from that land and contribute to the society. So debt forgiveness, historically speaking, was a, a, by definition a conservative policy because conservatism, one of the uh, core components of being a conservative, is wanting to conserve the good things of our society. And so um, you see what happened throughout, uh, throughout many of these civilizations is one of the key reasons they collapsed is because of the way debt sucked people off the land, put people in bondage. It actually strengthened everything, including their military ability to, def uh, to defend themselves. It was part of the moral collapse. And so um, I would argue why this is relevant for us here in Australia is because last I checked, we were in about $500 billion private debt. That's not government debt. That's private debt. Australian people are in, in uh, are basically in bondage to debt. Yeah. And I, I believe that it's important that people recognize that ancient monarchies and ancient societies actually found a way to deal with this. In, and this is important to understand because you've heard of the Great Reset, right, which is an evil world economic foreign policy which designed to cause you to be basically uh, insect-eating peasants who can't afford to drive anywhere because you can't afford a Tesla and your your petrol car is now illegal, right? That's the, that's called the Great Reset. But ancient civilizations had had their own kind of a reset where they reset the society back to a point where people did own something, their land, and they were happy because they were able to produce. And often what happened when a new king came in. So this is not an, this is not an un- So instead of the Great Reset where you will own nothing and be happy, it was uh, the Great Reset where you own your private property and owe nothing and will be happy. Exactly. And the Bible calls this the year of Jubilee. We have the mm -hmm. concept that, in fact, don't, what do we call the Queen's Jubilee? Is that 50 years or 100 years? The Jubilee is a wonderful concept in our society of celebration. And in the scriptures, this is where people were restored back to their family land so they could produce. And this helped ancient society. It's one of the reasons why you look at these ancient civilizations, they would last a thousand years. 
Whereas in more recent times, societies actually collapse a lot quicker. And it's one of the reasons this is because of our addiction to debt. But and, also and one of the reasons they last longer is because they pillage all their wealth from their neighbours, where we're not really allowed to go and do that very much anymore. Whereas now when the government hands out debt forgiveness, they're taking it from the people to then give back to another group of people who generally aren't earning that money that they're handing out. So the one thing we know about a capitalist society is that you don't have to give debt to make it successful. You have to lower taxes, lower restrictions, and allow the society itself and the power of the capitalist economy to regain wealth, which is what happened after the war. They lowered a lot of restrictions and they let people actually earn money again. So if they really want to get us out of this debt collapse, which was caused by a socialist overkill after COVID, where they took over the economy, shut it down, everyone had to take on debt, well, then all you do is lower tax dramatically, incentivise businesses to rehire people, and then remove some of the ridiculous restrictions and charges that are on people, which punish successful individuals and then people have jobs they can pay back their debt and we start building up another buffer of income again you don't just sit there and take money off people then hand it to other people that just gets you trapped in an endless cycle of debt and a reward for debt it's not a good idea you've got to punish the creditors not the citizens and that's where um, a lot of modern plans go wrong do you know what the fastest growing economy was after world war ii does anybody know which economy grew the fastest and most successful japan no it was going to be america it was Germany. Germany was the fastest growing economy. It was leveled to the ground. And, and by the I mean, literally, entire cities are leveled to the ground. You know, one of the reasons why Germany, and when I say Germany, I don't mean the, the part of Germany that was under Soviet control. I mean, the part that was under Allied control. Part of the reason why it grew so quickly and, so, and back into a prosperous, one of the most advanced societies in the world, is they cancelled every debt that was owed in Germany, except for one debt. And that was the debt that employers owned to employees, which they were required to pay, they cancelled every other debt, and the German economy flourished. It's one of them. It's, it's so it's a modern example of how this can work. I agree with you completely, Alexander. You don't want to do it in a socialist way where it's always on the taxpayers to pay it. I agree with that totally. I think. But also, we're not starting from scratch. Like you're saying, it grew fast. Well, yeah, it's easy to grow fast if you come from the gravel, right? But we're talking about economies that aren't in the gravel. Right. We're talking about ones that are yeah. actually yeah. alive. So you can't you can't use the same principles for currently flourishing economies, or they do tend to go backwards. It's a different set of economics for recovery from zero to trying to stop an economy from collapsing in on itself because it's already burdened with too much regulation and too much tax, which is what we have now. I mean, look how much money our government gives out to its mates, to its friends, to its corporations, and how hard they're cracking. Doug, did you see the job summit? We've got Albanese announcing he's going to try and crack down on private business owners to make it almost impossible to be self-employed. This is their vision for the future. That, We're just paying more and more money. It's nation-destroying. We're going to yeah. uh, whip around the contributors and guests uh, in just a moment. Uh, as we bring the show to a close, ask everybody for their final thoughts for the day. Uh, just before we go, I want to thank everybody who chips in every month to uh, make the good source and pillow talk possible. Um, appreciate so much uh, all that you do by putting your hand in your pocket. Not everybody can risk their job by speaking up and saying controversial things on Facebook and, um, and the internet and, and general places, but what you can do is you can send me and the other contributors on The Good Source uh, out into cyberspace uh, and help us do this full-time on your behalf. And uh, we thank you very much for chipping in with your comments and everything as well. To become a supporter or subscribe to the newsletter so you can find out uh, the coming events and recent articles uh, that you need to pay attention to, please head to davepello.com where you can become a supporter and sign up to the newsletter. 
Also, in uh, just a few months, Church and State Adelaide. If you are an Adelaidean or South Australian, uh, please head to churchandstate.com.au where you will be able to join the waiting list uh, for the release of tickets. And you'll be emailed within a week with uh, uh, prices and uh, locations for the Church and State uh, summit, uh, the Church and State Conference in Adelaide. And of course, don't forget that if you are a right-thinking person, uh, classical, liberal, conservative, Christian, libertarian, and various other people not um, attracted by socialism, uh, then uh, you belong at the CPAC conference that's coming up in Sydney on the 1st and 2nd of October at a location also yet to be advised. Um, but it'll be central to the city um, and we will also be having a, uh, a right-thinking independent personalities uh, dinner within walking distance of that venue. So make sure you get onto the Good Source newsletter so you can find the links on, on where to join that CPAC. If you'd like a 10% discount to the CPAC conference, uh, use the code GOODSOURCE, one word, no spaces, good source, and it's not even capital sensitive. Uh, George, final thoughts from you before we uh, wrap up the show. Well, final thoughts, just to chip in on the last uh, commentary. Uh, look, I, I think that one thing that we haven't really delved too deep into is, is banks, if we're talking about debt. And I've been a huge critic of the, of the banking sector, uh, but it goes beyond our banking sector. It goes to the whole international uh, financial system and the, the international financiers. Uh, they are a protected species and uh, they are uh, bloodsuckers as far as I'm concerned. Alexandra said that uh, a lot of people took a hit during the pandemic. That is true. Uh, we had a situation, though, where governments enabled uh, uh, renters, to, including small business, to actually not pay their rent for a while. Uh, the landlord, though, was stuck with the repayments to the banks. The banks said, we'll give you a holiday, but at the end of that holiday, they still had to repay the same amount of money. So the banks mm -hmm. did not lose anything here. So yeah. whenever there's a crisis, everyone else in society takes a haircut but the banks get off scot-free and someone really is going to have to look into the banks. It won't happen for a while. Uh, we had the Royal Commission. It was a whitewash. I could tell you all about that. It was a whitewash. It didn't do anything substantial, but there is a, a, a turnstile in Canberra between the financial services sector and that place. I can tell you right now, that's why nothing will change. Wow. Yep. Uh, my final thought for the day before I uh, throw to you, Ellie, is uh, very brief, and that is I think we need to reinstitute the year of Jubilee starting in 2050, 28 years from now. On the 1st of July 2050, all debts are cancelled. No credit cards, no mortgages, no personal loans, no car loans, no store cards, uh, no 20 bucks I loan to your mate. Absolutely clean slate. And then 28 years from now, so people have got time to recover uh, their, their idea. Look, I'm not thinking through this too seriously on the actual implementation but I'd love to see it implemented. And for every 50 years thereafter, I think that is a nation building idea. Ellie. I'm going to go and raise my credit card limit and then vote for Dave Pello. Considering I've been poor for a long time, but managed to escape without debt from a lot of sacrifice. Like there are a lot of, you know, 
years in my recent life where I didn't even know if I could go and afford a cup of coffee and I've still managed to come at it without debt. So considering your pledge, Dave, I think I'm going to go and buy a super yacht and then get the government to pay for it straight well, away. See, I think that's the only that. way that that's going to be fair for those of us who are economically responsible. will lend you according to your capacity to repay before 2050. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to marry the rich billionaire, kill him, <laughs> use that as collateral to buy the yacht, then get the government to pay for it, and this is my plan, so stop laughing. Uh, by the way, subscribe to The Spectator Australia where you can see this story in print where I get arrested for it later on. <laughs> <laughs> Ellie, was that your final thought? Uh, or, that was or, my final or, thought for the day. Uh, okay, brilliant. Thank you so much, Ellie and, and George. Matt, your final thought for the day. My final thought is if you want to win the culture, um, you know, it, being upset about Lord of the Rings being ruined, Star Wars, whatever it is, it's all being ruined, isn't going isn't gonna to solve anything. So you want to support uh, good anti-woke uh Fiction, anti-walk, non-fiction, C.S. Cooper before is a good example. I want to give a, a shout out to Arkhaven.com where you can uh, check out an entire series of different comics which are anti-work. They have two rules for comics on their site. There's no sex and no Satanism promoted. Um, other than that, it, there's fantastic stories. And my favorite comic on there is called Hypergamouse. So if you go to Arkhaven.com and check out Hypergamouse, it's a hilarious comic and they've got other great stuff on there. You might have heard of uh, Jim Bob or or Bob, Har uh, Bob uh, Garrison and others. There's a whole bunch of stuff on there. What we want to do to win the culture is to support the stuff which doesn't hate us. That's my encouragement. Awesome. Um, okay, well, that's it for the show today. Uh, George isn't going to be able to stick around to chat privately to us. Thanks uh, so much for your contribution, George. Appreciate you turning up and also sharing your Facebook page with us uh, every week. Um, yeah. Super great. Ellie, uh, thank you, and and Matt, thank you as well. And to all the supporters, thanks for subscribing to the mail list and your monthly contributions, uh, sharing this video with your friends and spreading the good news when Facebook is absolutely trying to make sure that uh, your friends don't see anything from the good source. Well, my name's Dave Pello. This has been Pello Talk. We'll see you next week. Today, we need a special kind of courage, not the kind needed in battle, but a kind which makes us stand up for everything that we know is right, everything that is true and honest. We need the kind of courage that can withstand the subtle corruption of the cynics, so that we can show the world that we are not afraid of the future.